I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Eric Eager filling in for Sam. We're both uh, remote. I'm, I'm coming to you live from my mom's basement here, Eric. Where where are you at right now? It's not the basement, but it's it is like uh, my mom's like sewing room. So uh, oh, nice. You know, we we perpetuate the stereotype uh, daily here at PFF, um, and we do so here at Seven Central, uh, which which is great. You you get me. This is how you know I love you, Steve. It's early. I'm ready to talk some football. Uh, I'm ready to get going. Yeah, got you up like before the workday here to, to talk some ball. So I uh, appreciate you filling in. I think Sam and I are going to be back on Monday. You know, we've, we've uh, had these staggered vacations and all that going on right now. So um, today, though, uh, Eric, I know you always have some always have some takes as far as division winners go. I think the AFC is just a hot button. You know, how are we going to figure that out? How are we going to unpack the entire AFC? I want to get into that a little bit. You, you've got a favorite team that you've been tweeting about all year, you know, uh, leading the bandwagon with a one favorite team. And um, and then some of the other cool stuff we've been working on here at PFF. I want to start with, with the entire AFC because I think every time I'm talking about the 2022 season and it's like, oh, the Bengals are going to be good and the Browns and the AFC West, the Broncos are going to be good. I think there's a lot of good teams there, but at the end of the day, which of these teams is going to have a good roster, you know, have made all the right moves and then have seven wins, eight wins to show for it. How, how are we going to figure out this entire AFC this year? Yeah, I think the bar is just higher in this conference, right? I mean, I think of the NFC, one of the reasons why we can, you know, gas up the Detroit lions or gas up the Washington commanders or the New York giants is like, there's a spot or two open, right? Whereas in the AFC, you know, the question is whether teams can be good. I think the Tennessee Titans will be good. I think the Bengals will be good. It's whether they can be good enough to compete with, you know, the Buffalo Bills of the world, you know, the the Los Angeles Chargers, the Kansas City Chiefs, um, you know, and like, I I think it's those, I think it's that group of teams, right? I think like, the Buffalo Bills are the favorite in the NFL overall. They're favorite in the AFC, and they should be. I mean, they, they you look at, you know, that offense really no weaknesses. Uh, I know that everybody in the fantasy community is talking either up or down Gabriel Davis, depending upon the day. Uh, that's Jerry Rice. He's really Jerry Rice. Let's be serious with the last thing that we saw from him in the uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. So, but like defensively, they need Kahir Elam to come in and play well. Um, they need the linebackers to continue to play the way that they have, but they get Von Miller, uh, a defensive front that in the past few years was really good, even though they really had no top paid players and now they have Von Miller. So they're the favorite, I think. And, you know, relative to the other teams that I think are, you know, really good teams in the AFC, they have 
they don't have an easy schedule, but they have an easier division, right? And, and you know, Kansas City has and, and LA have the hard schedules, the hard divisions. Um, you know, the the AFC North, I, I don't know if it's gonna end up being that hard with the Steelers kind of falling off and the and the Browns not being able to start Deshaun Watson for most of the year. But even then, the Ravens and the and the Bengals are two formidable clubs, right? And, and so um, you know, I, I think you have to bring into this discussion because of schedule, because of the additions they've made. You also, also have to bring in the Indianapolis Colts into the conversation in the AFC. Uh, all of those teams, to me, have an opportunity to win a championship, and I think Buffalo is is rightfully the favorite right now. It, it really does feel loaded in the AFC, and um, you didn't mention the Raiders, and you'll like this uh, this concept, I think, Eric, as, as, as a man who likes to place a, a wager or two. Uh, we had some listeners push back on us a little bit and say, you know, you, you don't like our team. You don't like this or that. And, and one of our listeners, and they're, and they're up, right, by the way, they're, right. they're all right. I mean, we do hate all 32 teams evenly, you know, it's, mm -hmm. there's no bias there. Um, one of the listeners came up with a concept, which was listener bets, essentially. So the listeners are going to call us out and say, so a Raiders fan, for instance, can bet hey, my Raiders are going to win at least 10 games or 11 games or whatever. And uh, they can wager stuff, you know, if they want to send us coffee, if they want to send us some stuff. But we're going to put up Edge, Elite subscriptions, that type of thing. Um, and these are pouring in. We're going to get back to our listener bets once Sam gets back because we have to, as a podcast, officially accept or decline these bets. But uh, keep those coming, NFL podcast at pff.com. But it's a fun concept, right? So we can say if if people really think we hate the Raiders – you know, put your money where your mouth is. We'll go head to head on that. And, and, and we've, we've got a little bit of that Raiders pushback here in the AFC West. I mean, you don't have to tell me, uh, you know, we, I say that every single time. I mean, like if you think the Raiders are great and you're, and you're irritated that people like me are not, you know, gassing them up the same way we are to the Detroit lions, then bet those soft numbers, right? If you, if, if you're a Raiders fan, uh, you can go out there and bet the Raiders at over eight and a half wins. Uh, you can go and let me look at this division on our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook division winner here. Uh, you know, you're getting a pretty good number. Um, you know, the Raiders are plus 650 to win the AFC West for the first time since uh, 2002. Right. The Jets and the Raiders, if they won divisions this year, it'd be the first time since 2002 for both clubs. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's great. I, I love that. Here's the thing I'll say about to the Raiders just to throw some cold water on it. Next year, the Raiders have 41 players under contract. Steve, you, you need 53 on a team. Yeah. They have 8.9 million cap space, 1.4 million effective cap space, 15 million in dead money. The Raiders are all in this year, right? So yeah. you can take it for what it's worth. You can say, okay, that that means, you know, Kansas City is clearly not all in. It doesn't look like they're going to extend Orlando Brown. They, they got rid of Tyreek Hill. They're still better than you, um, but but maybe they have different motivation than you have. The Broncos are kind of like long-term, but also this year, kind of, you know, good team. And then the Chargers, like, I think there's no no team in the NFL that's more have to win this year than the Los yeah, Angeles Chargers. They're all in, for sure. Yeah, the so Chargers. I think if you're the Raiders, you're like, man, you put a lot of stuff into Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams and X, Y, and Z just to be the fourth best team in your division and then be in cap hell the next year, like, Sorry, Raiders fans. I'm not exactly sure if I buy into the same bets that you do. I'm going to push back on that maybe in a minute because I, I think the biggest story this offseason, I want to get your take on it. But first, 
Reminder that the best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. No waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives your your team the best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year win. The champion of best ball mania drafted last year during the summer. So there's no time like the present. To join Underdog, take your shot at a million-dollar draft. So Underdog's also going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with the code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. Eric, I I really think the biggest story this offseason is the wide receiver movement. It's Tyree Kill going to Miami. It's Devontae Adams going to the Raiders and A.J. Brown going to the Eagles. What are we going to learn? I, I keep coming back with we're going to learn a lot about the impact of those true number one wide receivers, right? So you have two elite quarterbacks and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes losing their guys, right? We've never really seen Mahomes without Terry Kill for an extended period of time. We haven't seen Rodgers without Devontae Adams in a while at, at the level he's playing. And Ryan Tannehill's career resurgence perhaps – was it Derrick Henry? Was it Tennessee? Was it AJ Brown? Actually, yeah. that that yeah, you know, was the resurgence there. How do you think this plays out with the guys on the other end, Tua, Jalen Hurts, and Derek Carr? How much do they get elevated, and how concerned should we be about Rodgers, Mahomes, and Tannehill on the drop off of losing those top receivers? Good question. I think on the field, uh, willing to discuss that a little bit. I'm not as much of an expert as you, but I will say salary cap wise, it's very interesting, right? Because you look at the the names you just listed Tua, what's he on a rookie deal, right? Jalen hurts. What he, what's he on a rookie deal and car, you know, car's not on a rookie deal, but his money isn't necessarily in that sort of right. Like, you know, top he's, in the, he, he's in like the car bucket, right? I mean, he's, yeah. he's created his own little, and good for him, by the way. Yeah, I mean, he's ma- he's making a lot of money, but he's not making Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes money, and that might be the right place for Derek. Yeah, and, and that's what I think it, it ends up being, right? Because we we found, and and you know, a lot of research, and you know, frankly, a lot of hours talking to you, you know, chatting ball. You know, we learned something about the league, and I think, like, you know, to use a baseball analogy, I think if you have a great number one receiver. And you like, let's say you have a great quarterback, great number one receiver. Let's just say it's the Packers with Devontae Adams. I think you're one of those like Oakland A's teams that can win 110 regular season games, but can't win the playoff series because, you know, during a season you're facing Detroit twice, right? And Detroit has no one who can match up on Adams. So you go ding, 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 ding. And you win that game by 14, right? You play Minnesota. It doesn't have a good corner. So you can just throw to Adams as much as possible. And you there of, of 17 games or 14 eminently winnable games because of who, you you know, because of the way you're structured and the rest of your roster is okay. Not elite because you're paying the two guys huge amounts of money, but then you get to the playoffs and the characteristic of playoff teams is they're lucky teams, right? San Francisco had no injuries in their secondary in that playoff game. Um, You know, uh, the, the LA Rams, you know, the Packers got by them two years ago, but then they go to Tampa and what is Tampa? Tampa has four or five day two picks in the secondary from the previous couple drafts and they're able to neutralize uh Adams actually MBS had a good AFC NFC title game but it was like you know that it's like the structure of your team you can win the 13 14 games but you can't win against a team that can take advantage of your weak links right and I think what we're finding out is football is very much a weak link system other than quarterback and what these teams are doing 
that acquire the Adams and the Hills because those guys are essentially your quarterback, right? Right. You know, money-wise and and cap distribution-wise, they're they're hoping that that is their strong link. And I, I I'll sell that a little bit. Like I think. I think it's a good move, right? I, I like having Tyreek Hill when you're trying to figure out if Patrick Mahomes is good. I like having, you know, Devontae Adams. If you see if Derek Carr can take the next step after a bunch of years of being a good but not Super Bowl caliber quarterback. If you are already in that Super Bowl basin, right, where the Patriots were for the last 20 years, where the Chiefs are now, Buffalo kind of as well, I don't know if every additional dollar I plow into any position, but quarterback is really worth it in one player. And I, I have some of my interns working on this kind of project, uh, uh, an offensive lineman where after an offensive lineman sort of reaches a certain threshold, every single dollar, right? Every single dollar buys maybe let's say 1% better pass blocking efficiency, but that doesn't matter if your right guard stinks, you know, like, yeah, I think that that's kind of the, where I get an issue with, the, the wide receiver one market. Now we've always said wide receivers are extremely valuable. I think our like pricing of wide receivers was like twice that of over the cap. I think we've ultimately proven right here, but it's going to be interesting. Like I would sell all the teams that went heavy at wide receiver one. Interesting. So, I mean, that's, uh, this is really, I do think the league has caught up to say our, uh, our valuation of receivers, not that every receiver needs to make $15 million, um, as a, as a Corey Davis apologist through the years, I think Corey Davis was probably overpaid for a guy I think is a pretty decent number two who yep. in any given year can look like he did in 2020, which was excellent complimentary season with the Titans. And then last year you, you elevate him and it's like, it's just not there. But I think the wide receiver one, the trickle down, I mean, just when you look at it on paper and it's like, well, after Devonte Adams, you also have this mismatch weapon in Darren Waller, top five tight end, maybe top one, according to David Carr. And you have Hunter Renfro. I mean, you have multiple weapons for the Raiders. So I, I wonder how that's going to be different. And the same thing with Tyree Kill. He's going to this offense with a speedster like Jalen Waddle, with Mike Kosicki, another one of those mismatch type of tight ends. Uh, Kansas City may have stalled out because they didn't have option number three, right? These The last two years, really. Uh, some of these teams that Tyreek and or the teams that Tyreek and Devontae Adams are going to might have what uh, option three and option four, which will make it interesting. Um, I want to put you on the spot really quickly because Sam and I have discussed this before. As far as if you're starting a team, we all know, okay, we want to take the best quarterbacks. But we 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 went through this thought exercise before. What if you had QBs, head coaches, and now I'd say wide receivers to to choose from? is there a point where you drop off, right? You, you only take the top 10 QBs or whatever it is. When would like the head coach come in to play as far as starting a team? Is it after QB five? Is it after QB 10? Is it after all 32 quarterbacks, right? Probably not. When does the head coach come in and when does the wide receiver come in? Cause I think that's how teams are playing this right yeah. now. They're like, Hey, I've got a rookie contract to a, like you said, my quarterback is Tyree kill financially. And that's the way we're going to get the most out of Tua. So like, where do head coaches and wide receivers rank? Do you think off the top of your head, as far as team building starts after the quarterback, top quarterbacks? Yeah. So if you go, let's say, and, and I'm going to say like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'm my priors of Brady and Rogers are going to play long enough for this to be okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I think especially true with Rogers, but also Brady, like the guy was retired for 40 days. So let's, let's, um, 
So I think, you know, obviously Josh Allen, Mahomes, Brady, Rogers, those are kind of like no doubters. Um, I think Burrow, Herbert are in that set, sort of the next category. Um, uh, I think that this is where it, it sort of gets a little bit tricky. Um, you know, let me, let me actually, you don't have to be it. specific. I mean, I, I think yeah, at any like, given time, right. There's so, eight, there's eight to 10 quarterbacks that you would take. Yeah, right? but I actually, but, I actually want to give out a number here, but I want to make sure that I, I have it um, up to where my, my numbers are here. So, cause, cause I want to get to the, the last, the, the last group, which is sort of going to be my point, which is, I think yeah. that there's a group of two players uh, where this actually, you know, becomes uh, becomes a, a deal here. Um, and okay, here we go. So like, I think you go, you know, will Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, assuming everything's okay. Yeah. And then you go and not everything's okay, but assuming that all the suspensions are over with, right. um, like, you know, he's going to play football, right? Then I have Lamar Jackson. I firmly would put Lamar Jackson over that group. And then I have two guys where I'm not thrilled with this choice, but I would do it anyway because I think with these two guys, you can win a Super Bowl. Some years it's going to be frustrating as heck, though. And that is Dak Prescott and Matthew Stafford. I think with Matthew Stafford, you sort of showed last year that when things came together, it wasn't pretty all the time. You know, the Titans Sunday night football game, the Jaquiski tart throw, you know, the meltdown against the Niners in week 18 and all that kind of stuff. But you know, he's talented enough to win a Super Bowl. I think Dak Prescott's in that range as well. My issue is obviously we haven't seen the we haven't seen it yet, yeah. but I think he's good enough for that. I think everybody after that. So I would probably build a take a head coach or build a roster before I went with Tannehill Carr, Cousins. Ryan's interesting, but I think he's kind of over the hill. Murray's yeah, another at this one. Age. Yeah. I think Murray's another one where on, I was on locked on Arizona and I think I probably didn't make a lot of friends when I said, like, I think it's a bad bet to give Murray the, the, the max, you know, and, and, and ultimately like you and I would say, Hey, let's get a guy, a middle-class quarterback contract if he's that way. But we yeah. live in the real world where no one other than Blake Bortles has been a number one pick and gotten kind of less than the max or more than the, you know, Hey, Jameis, here's a couple million a year, you know, like that, that's kind of how it's been. Um, and so if that's the Boolean I have to make a choice with, I'm, I'm going zero on Kyler. I'm like, I'm letting somebody else see if they can wow. make Kyler into something on 45 million a year. Explain to my listeners what Boolean means, Eric. Come on, man. You can't use jargon over here. PFF NFL podcast. I know zero or one. Yeah. A variable yes or no. is zero yeah. or one. True <laughs> or false. I know. I, that's, it's a bold move. I want to get to, um, so I, I think Sam and I landed in a similar spot. I, we we talked about this maybe over a year ago, and we kind of got to this. Whoever the top eight or ten quarterbacks are, I would take them first, right? I mean, I, I don't know how much you learned from, say, Brady being away from Belichick for a couple of years, but the fact that Brady went on to elevate Bruce Arians, say, to a Super Bowl, you know, champion winning quarterback, I think we, I think it helps confirm the value of the quarterback outside of the head coach. Not that Belichick doesn't deserve credit for finding Brady, for creating this world where Brady can flourish and all this stuff. But when you have that elite quarterback, they can, they can elevate the next head coach. Right. Whereas Belichick's not, we'll see if he ends up winning super bowls with Mac Jones, but they weren't a super bowl contender the two years after Brady. Right? I mean, we, we see the value of the quarterback maybe over the head coach. 
Well, and you're of the belief, right, that that you would like that it, it is the first X number of picks that are quarterbacks and the teams that have have to end up picking head coaches are worse off than the teams that get to pick the quarterbacks, but yeah. they're better off than if you say, all right, we're starting a team with Ryan Tannehill on $40 million APY like that. I mean, right. I, I sort of, this is kind of, again, this is my, my sort of, this is where I think Stafford is kind of at the Stafford's at the boundary because the the lions didn't prove, but they sort of gave a lot of evidence to the idea that you can't build around Matthew Stafford. You can right. put Matthew Stafford on a winner and win. And, and I think that that's kind of the, I, I still, like, I think that there's some dysfunction in Detroit, of course, or there was. And so that kind of like, but Stafford was there for a decade. Right. So, you know, and they, and they were, you know, nine and seven. I mean, they fired Jim Caldwell because they weren't, they were too mediocre, right. More than they were just like the, the, the Detroit lions. So, but you know, dad, and the question is, can you build around Dak? Cause like, that's kind of what Dallas is trying to do now. Can you build around a quarterback is maybe the, is maybe the answer. And I think Dak and Stafford are at least not hard nose for me. Whereas Carr, Cousins, Tannehill are hard nose. Like I don't, I can't build a team around them. So I'll start with coach and then I'll try to get, I'll try to catch some luck later on. Do you think receiver jumps into that equation at any point there, similar to head coach with the yeah, very best, just the top five receivers, whoever they are? Yeah, because there's not a head coach. There, there aren't that many like truly difference makers, a head coach, right? There's, uh, you know, Andy Reid, uh, Belichick, Tomlin, um, Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, uh, McVay. I think Rabel's I, in that discussion now. Rabel's one that's really good, right? Like I think ultimately, and that's, this is somebody who, you know, I, I, I constantly try to make sure that I, my opinions reflect what I think the reality is like, I never thought Rabel was that good. You know, he had the, the problem, you know, he had the punt against the Ravens in the playoffs two years ago. That was bad. He, you know, I, I remember being at the AFC championship game in 19, where they had a 10 point lead against the chiefs and chiefs score a touchdown and, and Brable, they come out and it's obviously not, it's Arthur Smith calling the plays, but Brable, you know, they go run, run screen to Deion Lewis. And I'm like, this game is over. You just yeah. lost your chance to win against the chiefs by being conservative. And, but it's unmistakable. They got the one seed in the AFC last year and they played the most players in league history. They had so many injuries yeah. and like, I do think Rabel and Tomlin are in this sort of same equivalence class of being able to sort of like, you know, get more out of a team than the players give rise to. So I think Rabel's there. I honestly, you know, th that's a big part of my bull prediction for the Detroit lions is that Dan Campbell is kind of that rah, rah, like get players to play for you. You know, I think Pete Carroll at one point had that and then kind of lost it, you know, um, but I don't think, I mean, what's, there's a half a dozen, maybe eight coaches yeah. then that I think get taken. And then from there, you're going wide receiver. Like I, you know, you're going off inside the ball and it's, it's wide receivers. And if Travis Kelsey was a little younger, you maybe take Travis right. Kelsey, but like an elite that, tight end for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Kyle Pitts could be that player. Uh, I think Mark Andrews can be that. I think Mark Andrews yeah. showed last year that. He's really freaking good. You He's know? QB and, proof, right? It did, they had yeah. John Josh Johnson coming off, you know, team number eighty-seven, and, it, you and, know, and still... it shows. And it shows how how important development is in the NFL because I think most of us believe that Andrews, who wasn't even the first tight end taken by his own team that year, uh, was just kind of a guy that was the beneficiary of an offense that gave tight ends layups all day. But 
ultimately last year, I mean, he did most of that. He did a lot of that stuff on his own and, and I think proved a lot of people wrong in that regard. I keep going down these quick, these quick rabbit holes, but when you're evaluating head coaches, how do you balance what you can see versus what you can't see? Because I think it's easy for us as analysts to just focus on the fourth down stuff, right? And to, mm-hmm. we could put head coach rankings out there. Like who here are the guys who go for it on fourth down the best. And all of a sudden it's like, but that's like a fraction. I mean, it has a big impact on, on outcomes, but it's a fraction of what they do. How do you balance the stuff you can see, which is in-game decision-making versus the fact that they're really the CEO of the team. It is about getting the entire team to play, putting the players in position to succeed. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that we don't see. Is it really as simple as like your expectations? Here's where they landed. Because I guess when you get back to Vrabel, they keep exceeding expectations, right? They shouldn't have been in the AFC championship in 2019. They shouldn't have been the number one seed last year, whether he's going for it at the right time or not. At the end of the day, Mike Vrabel, like a Mike Tomlin, that's the, that's the proxy I always use for those two. They just end up getting the most for of whatever's on the field. So how do you balance that? What seen versus unseen when evaluating coaches? Well, and even I think Belichick is is sort of in that same class where they're like sure. they're finding an edge somewhere that I'm not seeing, right? They're yeah. it's player development. I always talk, I think the the biggest hidden edge in NFL right now is somehow figuring out player development because the NFL is going out of its way to tell you it doesn't matter, right? Like that we live in a potato chip league in the NFL where, you know, you draft a guy, if he's good, you play him for four years. If he sucks, you just draft another guy and play him for four years because, you know, unlike, uh, you know, 20 years ago, let's say like draft picks are super inexpensive, right? Both trades and, and, and money. So like there, there's player development that maybe we're not taking into consideration. There's obviously the motivational aspect. I think that the hard part is, and, and we're seeing this a little bit with Belichick. I know it's sort of sacrilege to say this to a Patriots fan or a, a Brady fan or whatever, you, wherever you would classify yourself right now. Um, but like Belichick has lost a little bit of the in-game stuff. Like he doesn't go for fourth downs or anything the way at the rate he did back in the day, you know, the Indianapolis game in 09 comes to my ha- mind. And the league is sort of like figuring like the league is sort of eroding some of his other edges, right? Like when he was like, Hey, I ran the three, four because no one else did. And I can get Ted Washington cheap and I can draft Ty Warren and I can draft Vince Wilfork and, and, and I can, you know, play with players who no one else wants, but are amazing to me. Like we're seeing that edge erode a little bit. And, and so with that, like they were, I think the Patriots were lucky that Brady went from being, in my opinion, like a seven out of 10 quarterback to a 10 out of 10 quarterback during that evolution, because that ended up buoying the Patriots. So I think if you're not like a tactician, like a, a, a true, like a Shanahan McVay Reed type of guy, and you, and you folk, you are more of a motivator and more of a interpersonal guy. Tomlin stood the test of time, but I don't necessarily know, like we've seen Carol fall off. We, I, I, so that's my, that would be my case against the Titans would be that I think Brable's great at that. And I think it's hard to sustain. I could be wrong. Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold, everything. However, there's a certain type of man that goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an Eagle and giggles in the face of danger. Do you guys have this read at the, uh, on the PFF forecast? He's a big, he's a big hairless winning machine. Eric, when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. 
Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. It's 20% off with free shipping. Manscapes.com. Use the code PFF. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. Smooth. Go Manscapes. Go check it out. Manscapes.com. All right. You said something crazy earlier. You wouldn't sign Kyler Murray. That leads us into Lamar Jackson. Unsigned. He's heading into his fifth-year option. Uh, the Ravens have not locked him up. Um, so there's some contract drama there. We'll get into Orlando Brown as well. Let's start with Lamar Jackson, who right now is in the news because it's July. In the news in July is when a former box safety from the Ravens, Bernard Pollard, that's right, I know who he is, even if Lamar doesn't, the guy who put Brady out for an entire season, uh, Bernard Pollard saying, hey, players don't want to go play with Lamar. Receivers don't want to go play with Lamar. Um, and and I Look, there's probably there could be some truth to that because it's not Lamar. It's the fact that they're a run first offense and receivers want to put up numbers. But Pollard's coming out. Lamar, it's it's a new world, man. Like Lamar is just clapping back on Twitter and you know, going head to head. But from a contract standpoint, Lamar's still unsigned heading into his fifth year option here. Yeah, I think it's really unfortunate. Well, for one, the God gave Bernard Pollard Brady's knee, and then of course nothing else after that. You know, we were only given so much. Um, and Brady's knee, of course, the the ultimate uh, score there. Apparently, um, I could see it in a sense that, like, you know, they might. I am not going to get all these targets. Like Hollywood Brown was like one of his best friends, and he's just like, yeah, but I'm not getting the throws. You know, like I right, but that. You know, it's interesting, right? Like, I love, I love these discussions, especially with you. You know, because you know, you, I think, you know, one of the great thinkers in football. It's like when something happens that we can't explain, it, it's our job to go in and dig deeper, right? So, like Lamar yeah. Jackson, some of this stuff doesn't add up that much, right? Like when when they were winning, you know, nineteen and twenty, they they had great efficiency offensively with only spending or spending 66% of their cap on defense and not spending it on offense and the wide receiver play. We're, we're looking around and we're like, why does Lamar Jackson's PFF war? Why is it only 21st since 2018? Um, how, you know, we look around and say wide receivers matter a ton. And this team's wide receivers, frankly, stink. Like even Hollywood Brown, who, you know, garnered a first round pick in a trade. He's not that good, right? Like he's not an elite wide receiver. Um, so it's our job to sort of look in and see why. And I, and I actually am very much on the, in the camp of you as, as well as like over the course of years, I don't, a couple of games, whatever, but over the course of years, if a quarterback wins, we have to be able to explain how. Yeah. And one of the things we looked at with the NGS data was how linebackers move. So I, I looked at sort of tailored expectations. So how often a team runs certain concepts, how often does a team run play action and so on? how, how voraciously do linebackers flow both in the run game? So after two seconds, how close are they to the running back relative to what you'd expect? And then in play action, how displaced do they get on play action? 
And in theory, you want these linebackers displaced. You want them moving. You want that middle of the field, as Lamar showed in 2019. The middle of the field is the most valuable place in football. And if you can pepper the middle of the field with throws, you are going to be efficient. Last season, <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo had two touchdown or two, two big time throws and 15 turnover worthy plays on 10 to 19 yard passes. And he had an NFL passer rating of 107.4 on those throws. Crazy. Even if you suck at throwing the ball over the middle of the field, if you do it enough, you are going to be an efficient offense. And what I found amazing was after, because we have NGS data back to 17, so we can see Flacco in 17, we can see Flacco in 18, and then we can see Lamar, and then we can see Hunley. Teams have progressively, you know, in the switch from Flacco to Lamar, have stopped moving on play action and have stopped moving against the run, right? So their linebackers just sit still. And it's gotten it's gotten worse as the seasons have progressed. So one of the things is, okay, Lamar Jackson is such that every defender is more stationary than they were before, right? That's not showing up in our data, right? That's not showing up in our traditional data. That's not showing right. up in passer rating. That's not showing up in QBR. That's not showing up in anything. But it's an, it's an explanation for why Gus Edwards is like five yards of carry every year. It's an explanation yeah. as to why, you know, Mark Ingram, who like it's just an okay running back, right? Let's be honest, it is getting 1,000, 1,100 yards for that team. It's an explanation for why, even though Lamar, we can clearly look at some of his underlying passing data and say, there's a little bit to be desired here. It's why that team can win with him, right? And so I'm... I'm of the belief, and I know that the Ravens, I mean, Eric DaCosta, EDC, every dollar counts. Like, I think that that is, is their mantra. And I think, unfortunately, because Lamar is so polarizing, the Ravens being extremely diligent here and turning every stone, I think it sort of confirms priors for some people. I think they end up getting a deal done. And I think the Ravens end up being okay still, uh, you know, with Lamar. And I think if he, you know, the problem is, is like there's one projection here that we all have to take into consideration, and that's can Lamar stay healthy? Because yeah. he is unlike any other running quarterback in the history of the league. When 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 Mike Vick in 2006, our first year of collecting data, when he rushed for a thousand yards, three fourths of it were on scrambles. You know, when Lamar rushed for 1,200 yards in 2020, 2019, sorry two-thirds of them were on design runs. Like, we're just right. in uncharted... He's not a scrambler. Yeah. Yeah, we're in uncharted territory with him, and we we can't sit here and be like, oh, Lamar this, Lamar that, and then also be like, hey, running backs this, running backs that, and not kind of project a little bit onto him. I know his yards before contact are way higher than a normal running back. He's not being hit by linemen that much, all that kind of stuff, but we saw a little bit of it last year. It's just hard to stay healthy when you are playing that style of football at the, at the quarterback position. So, you know, last year at this time, we had, um, you know, you get the anonymous source who's like, hey, I think the league's going to adjust to Lamar Jackson. And, of course, the, um, you know, you get you get some overreaction in the social media world when you hear phrases like that, you know, thinking, oh, you know, Lamar, you know, you can't adjust to Lamar. The, the league's going to adjust to Lamar Jackson but you're actually given some data that's saying maybe they have adjusted to that offense. And whether it's Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or any, or Joe Burrow, any quarterback that has success. And we've seen a lot of this in recent years, right? The year two success for Josh Allen, it was year three, 
but Carson Wentz peaked in year two. Lamar so far has peaked in year two. Joe Burrow's coming off of year two Super Bowl run, highest rated year two. Patrick Mahomes technically peaked in year two, right? I mean, he hasn't fallen off a cliff, but he's his best year was his second year, first year as a starter. His yards per Um, attempt have gone down every single year since he started. So that is that is the NFL does adjust, right? Right. They they completely changed how they play the Chiefs last year defensively. You're you're describing how teams might be playing the Ravens differently. This has to be a part of consideration, right? So when you're talking, I think I think Lamar Jackson is a transcendent talent in that his skill set is unique, right? There's nobody that runs like him and that you can build a rushing offense behind. You can build one around Jalen Hurts or Taysom Hill, but not at the Lamar Jackson level. But do the do we think that the my my point is do we think that the Ravens are actually concerned that look we've got we've got a we've got a cool tool in Lamar Jackson where we can run the ball more than anyone else we can run a unique offense but it's eventually going to be capped and limited and as the NFL adjusts we're going to have issues uh, is it that and then my other question from Lamar's standpoint is I wonder how much it's just what does he want. You know, he's looking at this like, dude, I was an MVP in year two. And, you know, I'm nobody else has done what I've done. I had the, we had the best team in the league. We'll do it in the playoffs. Once we get there, Lamar's confident Um, and quarterbacks want different things, right? Mahomes and Allen both seem to want that long-term deal. They want to be the face of the franchise. They want to be there for 15 years, Kansas city and Buffalo with Dak. It seemed like Dak with Dallas wanted to, you know, maximize his value. And, and hit the open market again at some point. And, you know, so does Lamar want different things than the Ravens? Do the Ravens want a short-term deal? Lamar wants long-term. Is it vice versa? I mean, to me, that's part of the equation too. How much is L- what Lamar wants a factor in the here where they just, they don't have agreement? Well, I can tell you the Ravens thought process is they're just, they're using all the tools at their disposal, right? That you yeah. look at, you know, and, and I've had conversations throughout the league where it's like, you know, the cautionary tale is, you know, and the cautionary tale is Jared Goff. The cautionary tale is Carson Wentz, Wentz you know, yeah. it's, you know, and, and I think that one of the important things and I, I we, we must've talked about this on the show before, but like the quarterback contract extension is a trophy more so. Well, it, it, it's obviously great money for the quarterback, but it, it's a, it's as it's for the general manager as much as it is for the, for the coach or for the uh, player. Right. And, yeah. you know, it's less so right for a guy like Lamar because Lamar wasn't even the Ravens first, first round pick that year, but like for a guy and, and Dak was another one that there's, you know, and our guy, Brad Spielberg, who you've had on the show is fantastic. He's shown this like the further you get down the draft rung, the less like the general manager himself is trying to confirm his own priors. Right. But you know, a lot of it, but I think when you look at the Ravens, they look at the Rams and say, well, what the heck were you doing? You had two more years of team control and to and to uh, franchise tags, and you just you went all in on Jared Goff right away when it's not clear that you had like you know I think you and I both agree the biggest the biggest dip, most difficult problem in sports analytics the most important one in football is not whether or not this quarterback you draft is good it's whether the quarterback you drafted supported on a rookie deal who is competent is good enough to win with when you don't have that and right. I think. The Ravens got lucky a little bit last year. They had something of a natural experiment, which was you lose both corners, you lose your left tackle, you trade away your right tackle, all the running backs are gone. 
wide receivers stink, and you, you were eight and three and in the one seed in the AFC, despite the fact that Lamar didn't play all that technically well during the port part of the season. But I, I just think they're using everything at their disposal. And I think with respect to Lamar, he doesn't have an agent, right? Like one of the reasons he's not in the top 10 list of general man, you know, of, of decision maker quarterbacks is he doesn't have his agent pounding the table for him every all, all the time. But like the, the answer probably is Lamar doesn't know what he wants because he doesn't have somebody next to him sort of contextualizing what this whole thing is. And, and I think the Ravens, a team that are, is very smart, not perfect, but very smart. We'll run circles around somebody like that in negotiation. And that's kind of what we've seen. And, you know, that that's unfortunate, I think, for the quarterback because it injects a lot of uncertainty in that team. But it's probably right for the Ravens to do until, you know, they get, you know, somebody with some experience on the other side negotiating the deal. What about in Kansas City with uh, Orlando Brown? You know, he the, the the Ravens traded Orlando Brown. The Chiefs got him just before the 2021 season. He played last year. Uh, still on his rookie deal, pretty cheap, gets franchise tagged this offseason. Uh, I was critical of the trade at the time. I think you had some criticism of the trade at the time from the from the Chiefs perspective. Um, my, my criticism was at some point, the Chiefs are going to have so much money locked up in the offensive line. It's going to hurt their playmakers, whatever. Um, now Tyreek Hill's gone. We'll see. I don't know how much those were really dependent. Sam disagrees with me on that, whatever you want to say. But at the end of the day, if the Chiefs, Orlando Brown might be holding out, might not have a, a long-term contract here for the Chiefs. If he walks at the end of the year, and at the end of the day, the Chiefs have given up essentially a first-round pick for two years of Orlando Brown, and then the comp pick that comes back from him leaving, is that a win in the long-term, or do the Chiefs really just need to lock him up to kind of confirm there, you know, to, to, to prove that that trade was worth it and have Orlando Brown and Joe Tooney locking up the left side of their offensive line? It's not a win, but it's the low, it's the loss by the least amount. If that ends up happening. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think, like I said, that they were dealing with the Ravens, you know, when we make a deal with the Ravens, you're probably going to lose, right? Like they just have the whole thing mapped out. And, and, you know, I think that probably Baltimore didn't expect the chiefs to let Orlando Brown go after, let's say a, you know, a franchise tag or two and get the comp pick. But you know, we forget that they got the um, the Nick Bolton draft pick with uh, back. So it wasn't a first; it was a first round pick and a third and a fourth for a second and Orlando Brown. So it was something of the depending upon which chart you used, it was something like the equivalent of like the fortieth pick, right? So I used I said I think I I think I remember like uh, canceling off a lot of the trade and saying it comes down to Orlando Brown for a first rounder after all the exchanges. Yeah, right? it depends upon how how steep your your curve is. Yeah. But like, if you're looking at a late one, let's say uh, for, for argument's sake for two years of cheap Orlando Brown, competent Orlando Brown, not great Orlando Brown. And then you get a third round comp pick back. Like it's a loss, but I don't think it's a huge loss. If you pay Orlando Brown, what he reportedly wants which is 25 million on, you know, a 25 That's million tough. APY deal. It's an, it's an L from the, the jump here. So, uh, you know, I, um, and, and, and I just don't, I don't think it's going to be done. I think reports, uh, I can confirm like some of them, I think that they're, you know, they're far away. And I think Orlando Brown, like also not having an agent until the last like six weeks really has hurt him. Um, and, and the agent that he did get is not a football agent, not like skilled in any of these things. So there's an aspect there that that's tricky. Um, so I, I, you know, in my opinion, like, 
you know, Orlando Brown was answering a different question in 2021 that he was than he's answering now. And it's another important thing where once you get additional information, your answers can change, right? So yeah. last year in April, the Chiefs had Joe Tooney, Austin Blythe was their center, you know, Kyle Long and Laurent DuVernay-Tardif, neither one of whom had played the previous year were their right guards. And then some combination, Lucas Niang, who sat out 2020 because of COVID, Andrew Wiley, who had an infamous Super Bowl against Tampa Bay, and, you know, Mike Remmers were their tackles. And so I can understand the desperation, especially when you're already pot committed to being the best team in the league in 2020 and 2021, going after Orlando Brown. I think it was very smart not to extend him that, right? Because ultimately you left that open. Now, where the Chiefs are with Tooney, Creed Humphrey, who's a PFF All-Pro, Trey Smith, who's had a pretty pretty decent rookie year and I think is going to be their starting right guard for a while now. And then, you know, Andrew Wiley was competent at times last year. Lucas Niang got, you know, patella tendon injury, so we don't know if he'll come back. But then they got Devon Kennard from Kentucky, who graded really well in the SEC and might be a dark horse to start on that line. Now the question is, do you need Orlando Brown when you have an offensive line with three, maybe four competent players? I think the answer is no. Like, I think I think they're perfect. I, I, I don't think it's great if he sits out the season, but I don't think it's a catastrophe. Whereas last year, you know, the betting markets had in the first round six and a half offensive line linemen being taken. It ended up being five, and one of those five was Alex Leatherwood. I think that the, the Chiefs looked at that group and said, there isn't a starter where we're picking. And right. it's probably worse to trade up for a guy, you know, let's say like, um, you know, uh, and he ended up being good, but the, the guy for the Vikings, uh, not Rashawn Slater, uh, Christian Derrissaw. Christian Derrissaw. They like trade up for Christian Derrissaw. Like, are we, you know, are, you know that that's another Brett Beach trade up that we're a little bit nervous about, right? So I think that ultimately, you know, they were in a bad spot. Like, and sometimes you're put in a bad spot, you know, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher both get hurt the same year. They had been your tackles forever. They made a play. I think that, you know, obviously it was negative EV, but you didn't, they, they're not compounding it right now by, 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 you know, sort of tethering themselves to the decision they made last year. Interesting. They might, yeah, because I, I, part of my criticism was I felt like they were going to feel the need to, to lock up Orlando Brown and it was going to really affect them long term, but it might end up being the right play. I like the idea of looking at moves from a, you know, 50,000 foot view, which is like, what were you doing at the time? What did you get from, from your trade? And then what did you get in return? And, and maybe it's not that bad. And then you, the point you make about Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith developing as rookies does, does give a little bit of leeway maybe on that offensive line. Um, I want to get into some of your takes. I know you have an article about uh, division bets, you know, division totals that you would take on pff.com. Some of the teams that you like, and you have been, pounding the table for the lions. Um, what does that mean? So to speak, right. When, when traditionally before we got into the, to the betting and gambling space and everything, we, we only talked about, Hey, here are the teams that we like, right? We, we think this team is good. They're going to win 10 games. We think they're good. You're looking at this from a market standpoint. What is it about the lions that have had you on their bandwagon this off season? And is that a bandwagon that our listeners can still jump on or is as the, uh, have you changed Has the market corrected to, uh, to your takes here, Eric? Uh, with the lions a little bit, not as much as I think. And, and in fact, our friends at DraftKings have not moved 
the Lions playoff, you know, yes, playoff price. Uh, it's still four to one, um, you know, for those of, that, that don't have a ton of experience betting for a long shot, like four to one, the, the probability you need to believe that that's true is one over five. So four plus one, so 20%, we make it more like 27%. So you're like a 7% edge is a solid bet to make. Right. And so that, that my, my love for the lions is mathematical in nature, not necessarily, right. um, you know, just like, you know, and, and then. You know, and that, that's again, like I have numbers that come out. I'm like, oh, Detroit kind of looks good. And then you try to come back and say, okay, well, why? Why? What? What is the, you know, and you look at that team, it's like, I mean, there's a lot of talent on that team. You have three first round picks on the offensive line uh, in Decker, Sewell, uh, and Ragnow. You have, you know, Hawkinson's a top 10 pick at tight end. And we know, you know, tight ends aren't always who they come out as, right? Like, yeah. you know, most tight ends are usually, I mean, when you draft a tight end that high, and the Lions know this as, as well as anybody, you're dra- you're drafting somebody else's tight end most of most of the time. Um, you know, Williams. You know, you know Odell Beckham Jr. sat out the first four games of his rookie year and still you know had that season that, that captivated all of us. I think Williams has that potential. Amon Ross St. Brown was terrific last year. DJ Chark's a player that you know can make can make a difference. Uh, you know, and Jared Goff, you know, I think last year when Ragnow sat a lot of games, and Decker sat a lot of games and Sewell was kind of piecing it back and forth and they had a tough schedule. He is not as good. Right. And, and take away a little bit of that pressure. Now they have the second easiest schedule in the NFL. Only the giants have an easier schedule. The lions average game is seven tenths of a point easier than the average game on a neutral field. They don't play any games after one o'clock Eastern, right? Their only game that isn't a Sunday at one is these is the Thanksgiving game against the bills. They play in a division where the bears are going to be horrid. And I, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't think the bears are trying to win this year. Let's be honest. Um, the Vikings could go either way, as we all know, and the Packers are weaker than they usually are. I think they have a great defense, but you know, offensively, they're not as scary as they used to be. Then you look at the other side of the ball and Akuda, right? We know the streakiness of corners. Akuda has been terrible so far and hurt. But like that draft pedigree, that sticks with you for a while, right? And and it's not beyond, uh, you know, possibility that he could end up being good. Amani Awarie had six interceptions last year, uh, very feisty corner. And then obviously Aiden Hutchinson is what you want, everything you want in defensive end coming out of Michigan's. Dan Campbell's the head coach. That team played hard for Dan Campbell. They had the most points in the NFL last year when their win probability is 1% or less. Now, a lot of that's having a lot of time when your win percentage is 1% or less but, but that's also, you know, I don't think Detroit was trying to win last year, but I think they weren't trying to win personnel wise. I think once they got between the white lines, they tried to win. And I think that Dan Campbell certainly has that. And then the last thing, and I cannot stress upon this enough, and this is also why I'm bullish on the giants. Anthony Lynn is gone. I don't think you can put a price on how bad Anthony Lynn is in game, making decisions for a team uh, in the case of calling plays there. Same thing's true with Joe Judge and uh, our friend who now calls Notre Dame football, Jason Garrett. So that's my bullish case. NFC's weak. They have an easy schedule. And there's not no t- – there isn't they, – they, they have more t- – like, who has more talent right now, Steve? The Arizona Cardinals or the Detroit Lions? Like, add it up. The Detroit Lions have more talent than the Arizona Cardinals. And somehow the Cardinals are lined at eight and a half wins, and the, and the Lions are lined at six and a half. Cardinals have talent in the right spots though. When Deandre Hopkins comes back and Kyler at quarterback and, um, but the, 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 the Cardinals are definitely one of those teams. When you look at their roster where it's like, 
I don't know if they got better. You know, most teams go into training camp and they're like, oh, we got better at all these places. There's always a handful of teams where it doesn't feel like they got better. Arizona could be one of those teams. I don't hate Marquise Brown, though, as a complimentary piece there once New Hopkins yeah, is Yeah, yeah, there's like four good players on that team. Like, congratulations. Yeah, I got you. And that's solid offensive line. But I get it. And you have, you have the Lions over two and a half wins in the division over at pff.com, best futures. Uh, bets using just division win totals. You can check out Eric's article there. So there's there's still some value to be had, right? Even uh, here in July, after you guys scooped up all that value back in uh, May, May and June. Yeah, I think I think uh, you know what I would advise betters this time of year is you know you only have a month, right? If you're if you're itching to bet some futures right now, I would lay off of them just because they're they're picked around. There hasn't been really any news for the last few months, so those numbers are beaten into place. Wait until Carson Wentz breaks his foot. Wait until uh, you know something like that happens. You know, I was on a beach uh, on vacation. I ran back up to my room and bet Colts under ten wins when Wentz broke his foot. And of course, like I needed like a miracle, you know, Carson Wentz meltdown for that to hit. But um, you know, bet preseason unders. Like that's that's probably better for you right now than <laughs> to bet futures. Preseason but, unders. But the uh, but the um, there are still some values and like the new markets. I think were where you want to look. That's why I was looking at division wins because you look at that NFC North and. If you bet over for the Vikings, the Packers, and the Detroit Lions division wins, you're basically just saying, hey, the Bears are going to suck. But that everybody's already bet into the fact the Bears are going to suck in some markets. So you got to bet into a different you know, uh, market for that to, to really give you an, an edge. All right. I want to wrap it up today with some of the work your team's been doing with our all coverage data. We've been collecting all sorts of new, new, new data points on every coverage play. We know the players that are playing hook curl, curl flat, all that stuff. And then uh, more data on receivers and one-on-one -on -one matchups against cornerbacks and separation data when they're not targeted, all sorts of new insights, how well teams cover as a unit zone versus man, all sorts of great insights coming out of that. What are your thoughts on some of the findings that we have here and in, in the, the actions that we can eventually take on some of these findings? Well, I think, I think the, the first thing that comes out of it is the, what the analytical process is, right? So, you know, you, like PFF has collected the best data forever, right? And I think, you know, you ask anybody around the league and they'll tell you that, you know, the tracking data is wonderful, but without the event data, it's kind of, you know, it has less of a use, right? And, you know, but our data was limited at times by, you know, what we understood about the game at the time. And, and we sort of progressed forward and we're like, Oh my gosh, coverage really does matter. And it matters more than just, you know, the one-on-one -on -one matchup that ends up being a target. And, and so our, you know, as opposed, you know, I think the growth mindset in this company is fantastic. And so we go and we collect all of the, the coverage players at a depth that we weren't, you know, charting it before. And, you know, uh, I have, you know, every single summer I have interns and, the interns sort of like what I say is my ideas don't have consequences. I can just be like, Oh, I think this data set's great. And so why don't you just explore this and write an article about it? And of course it gets them exposure and it, you know, it, it grows our field a little bit. Um, and, and you learn something new. And, and I think what was great was, you know, they were, you know, Judah Haley and Arjun uh, showed, you know, perfectly covered plays, right. This idea that like, you know, it's a weak link system. So, you know, I don't really care if Daryl Revis is locking down one side all the time, if quarterbacks can go to the second read and, and 
you know, uh, was it loud? You know, I'm trying to remember the other corner of the Jets after Cromartie, who was terrible, like Lido Shepard. If Lido Shepard can't cover a, a $5 check, then who cares? Right. And yeah. like, and, and Timo Riske went through and really did a very thorough analysis this week, which I hope you look at on PFF.com, which looked at essentially trying to predict at the play level. Like if you actually use this data at the play level, can you predict, you know, you know, how matchups will go and, you know, he showed that the answer is yes. So, um, you know, much like our grades and much like, you know, quarterback charting and, you know, big time throws, turnover worthy plays, eventually it'll, it'll get gobbled up in the marketplace. Like eventually, you know, the betting markets will reflect those things. But I think for now, like we're generating a lot of insights as to what wins at the wide receiver and defensive back position. And, uh, and, and you know, I, th- I think it's going to be super valuable. Yeah, it's it's really good stuff because again, I think from a PFF standpoint, so two of the trickiest positions to project are wide receiver, well, just essentially receiving and uh, coverage players, and it's in part because of the nature of the game and roles and, and all sorts of different stuff. But uh, receivers' dependency on quarterbacks, perhaps as far as actual production goes, cornerbacks they depend on quarterbacks as well. They you know when when Tom Brady's picking on you as the weak link in the secondary over and over again you know, sorry, you're, you're at the, you're at the mercy of Tom Brady and who he's throwing to. So we're learning a lot more about uh, coverage in general and receiving and how to project those players. So I think that's, I think it's really good stuff. That's going to show up uh, over at PFF going forward. So um, I I think it's a triumph. I think it's a triumph of the analytical process. Like I said, like, I think everybody at PFF is extremely valuable from the data collectors to, you know, the people that are driving narratives to the people who are making decisions and, you know, we, we come together and our, our goal, and you know, it's, it's broader now than it used to be, but our, one of our goals is to understand the game of football better. And sometimes that requires us to, to look at the game differently than we had before to build new products. And I think, you know, you know, it starts with the tone that you guys set starts with the tone that R and D sets It starts, you know, with data collection. And I think, you know, for us, it's, you know, like I said, if you're trying to understand the game better, you're not going to make you're, you're, you're going to make progress. We've made progress in our subscriptions right now because normally we give you 25% off, but it's actually 40% off. I don't know how long this is going to last, but last, but PFF 40, you get 40% off any PFF subscription right now over at PFF.com. So be sure to take advantage of our pre preseason sale. This is always probably the, you know, the best time to get in as far as sales go. So PFF 40, go check it out over at PFF.com and check out the PFF forecast. Eric's the co-host with George and they break down all all the good stuff as far as gambling, betting, looking forward, giving you guys the insights you need before you make a wager in particular. So go check out that. And uh, yeah, thanks, Eric, for uh, for filling in for Sam, bringing in some good insights. So Thanks for having me, Steve. It was fun. Yeah, always a pleasure to talk to Dr. Eager. And uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Monday with more great off-season NFL content.